Hello and welcome to Super Zon Screen, the superhero movie podcast. I'm Dylan Roth, broadcasting from the Shatterdome, Deadshirt.net headquarters in Hackensack, New Jersey. Today we're going to be talking about the animated Marvel feature, Ultimate Avengers, from Lionsgate Animation. Uh, my guests today, from Fargo, North Dakota, comics writer Andrew Isla. Hello. And from Omaha, Nebraska, writer, artist, and comedian Tracy Mock. Greetings. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be here. As always, I like to start with uh, asking each of you what your prior experience was with this movie and the material that it's based on, which, by the way, uh, dear listeners, is The Ultimates by uh, Mark Miller and uh, Brian Hitch, which was one of the flagship titles for Marvel Comics' relaunch of uh, the early 2000s. They will get more into that later. But let's see. Andrew. Yes. Have you seen this movie prior to uh, preparing for the podcast? I had watched it once um, a long time ago, five, six years ago, um, and it was all kind of a blur. And I remembered thinking that it was generally positive but didn't blow me away. Uh, so I watched it again just this afternoon. I actually watched both this and the sequel just because I figured I might as well keep going. And uh, how about the – have you uh, read The Ultimates? I have not read The Ultimates. I am aware of The Ultimates. Um, I don't know if you want to get into how deep, uh, like, you know, like comics reading history goes, but I did not really grow up reading comics just purely because of geography. Uh, I lived in a town about 2,000 people, 80 miles from the nearest place you could even buy a comic book. So, you know, when you're not exposed to them and you're that far removed from it, and it's, you know, the 90s where you can't just go online and download something or, or read about things, uh, Comics just really weren't in in my wheelhouse, and I really got into certain superhero properties via other medium, like you know I'd, the Batman movies and the cartoons, and for both Batman and X Men. And um, by the time I sort of got out of there and moved out to to college, was when I really started digging into comics because they were finally available to me. And by that point, um, it was about 2006. Uh, the Ultimates were already, you know, a thing that had happened, and I sort of started going back through the history of, of various comics and Mark Millar came into my radar kind of immediately as someone who mostly represented the antithesis of what I really wanted <laughs> no. to be reading <laughs> in well, comics. Well, we're going to get to that too, I'm sure. And I'm sure we'll cover that. But yeah, um, once I had seen that kind of infamous splash page out of context of Ultimate Cap uh, beating up a guy and yelling, surrender, does this A on my forehead represent France? I was like, nope, <laughs> I do not need to read this comic. So that's basically... You know, other than what I've absorbed through osmosis about the Ultimates, kind of all I know. Okay, and uh, Tracy, I know that you are a pretty hardcore Marvel fan, and that you're into all of these animated features. So, uh, what do you want to go into detail about your experience? Uh, I was one of those people that bought it the the day it came out. Uh, the this animated feature, uh, and I had read uh, the Ultimates beforehand. Um, you know, again, as a monthly reader, uh, I was picking up all of the launch titles of, of the Ultimate line. And uh, so, I mean, I definitely knew what I was comparing it against when I when I saw it. Uh, I, I re- yeah, I remember being generally positive about it. It was really cool because it was also, like, this was the first Marvel direct-to-video animated feature. And, uh, or at least of, of this whole Lionsgate deal that they started up. So I was excited to see like, Oh, Marvel is going to try to do the thing that 
like Warner Brothers and DC have been doing for a while already. And DC and Warner, because of their partnership, or rather their being a subsidiary of Warner Brothers since the 90s, or I guess since the mid-80s, mm-hmm. um, they have always been producing, since that, since they became part of Warner Brothers, they've produced a wealth of quality animated programming to a much greater degree than Marvel. I, I imagine that's, that's all changing now that they're a property of Disney. But yeah. while Marvel has always, since Marvel, especially since Marvel Studios, has been the company that produces the better and the more frequent live-action movies, animation has always been where DC sort of dominates. Yeah. So this was Marvel through a deal with Lionsgate. This was years before they were purchased by Disney. We're starting to get their feet in the water and trying to make their own animated features to compare to the recently launched DC animated original movies that we, uh, the first of which we covered just just a couple weeks ago with... That's right. It was uh, Tracy and I and Haley Winters from Deadshirt.net. Um, so this is the first of those, and I, I kind of don't think it measures up so well against DCs. Yeah, no. I, I, think, I think the context is kind of a big part of discussing this movie and probably why... I felt so much less positive about it this time than I did in 2007 or whenever it was that I watched it because this was, like I said, it was pretty exciting that, you know, it was, it was, this was at a time when a new Marvel property on screen was a big deal. Like, Mm -hmm. this was the first kind of Avengers on screen thing. It was the first step of this, like, animated universe that they were building with Lionsgate. And it was the first time we'd really seen all these characters interacting off you know anywhere other than in the comics oh that's another thing i should probably mention to uh to any of you listening who aren't um super acquainted with ultimate marvel the ultimates are the sort of reimagined for the 21st century or rather for the oh for the for the very first moments of the uh 21st century reimagined version of the avengers in ultimate marvel essentially it was a a relaunch of all of the marvel properties from the perspective of building a brand new universe specifically targeted towards new readers coming in from watching movies or seeing the cartoon. Basically, people like exactly my age. Uh, but the Ultimates was the version of the Avengers. It didn't have a group called the Avengers until much later, and it was much different. So Ultimate Avengers, um, as a movie, they throw the name in there just as a way to market it both to people who grew up with the Ultimates and with who grew up with the Avengers but it's based specifically on the Ultimates rather than the Avengers. And it's right. it's kind of weird to look at it from the perspective like where we are in time right now, the whole just the Ultimates in general because it was definitely something that was being created in a mindset of like if we made an Avengers movie, this is what we'd have to do. Uh, nobody would like uh, the bright, shiny costumes, so we'll get them all this piped-up, leathery-looking stuff. And Avengers sounds dumb, so we would have to change the name to Ultimates. And it was sort of like, it seems like it was all done through the eyes of a guy, basically Mark, you know, Mark Millar, l- looking at it like, well, here's all the things that I think are corny and what I think, like, Hollywood would want to see instead, uh, right up to the point of, like, literally casting Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. <laughs> this is the origin of the Sam Jackson Nick Fury, not the movie, rather, with the comic. And it, it's, it's right. It's maybe a, the best yeah. thing that those comics have done for for any of those characters, <laughs> as someone who hasn't actually read many of them. <laughs> I recently, uh, as part of a feature for Deadshirt.net, um, I 
reread the entirety of the Ultimate Marvel line, a lot of it for the first time. I went and I read all of it. Um, it took me months, but <laughs> I, and then I wrote a a uh, a fairly in-depth piece introducing readers to Ultimate Marvel because it's getting sort of relaunched. But at the beginning of Ultimate Marvel, it was really designed to shed the comic booky, and that's like an L, that's a that's a bad word to say, like because it implies that comic books them, as a medium have certain genre requirements or certain traits. But yeah. um, it was the what you were saying about this sort of being like the trial run for an Avengers movie is is really I think really pretty much on the nose. Right down to getting Brian Hitch, who's known for like this sort of technique of widescreen comics. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the action movie version of the Avengers, and it's funny yeah. how much stuff from the Ultimates actually made it into the Avengers, but not the tone at all. Yeah, yeah, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I actually watched the special features on these two DVDs of these uh, Ultimate Marvel movies just to kind of get a little more context and stuff. And there's an interview on I think it's the second one a long interview with uh, Millar and Hitch. And Millar cannot go five seconds without referring to these as the movie versions or widescreen or cinema or, you know, he, or casting actors. Like, like I, I tweeted as I was watching it, you know, uh, the Mark Millar interview drinking game is take a shot every time he refers to comics with film terminology. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they were doing the, the same thing that, like, the X-Men movies did for the X-Men in the early 2000s, where it's like, mm-hmm. we know you want to see these characters, but we think it's going to be too silly and we'll fix them for you. Even yeah. to the point that we'll sort of reference how we fix them with like that awful line about yellow spandex. <laughs> this is um, Mark, Mark Miller. And I, I read somewhere recently in an interview, he specifically says that it's Miller, but Americans like to say Millar and yeah. he kind of thinks it's funny. <laughs> so, I've heard both and I, I've heard more often Millar. So that's what I kind of revert to, but. I, I never really know what it is. That's what it is in my head, and I'm trying to correct it back to just saying Miller, because apparently, you know, his own in his own in in his own phonetics, in that he says it's it's Miller. That's one of those things that I I know intellectually, and I think even when I said his name uh, just minutes ago, I stopped myself like mid syllable, like I, well, I know I should say Miller, but I just want to say Millar. 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 We can say Millar in like uh, the way that like Chris Matthews says Dick Cheney, like <laughs> just as a as a nice as a as a subtle dig because he's not yes. a great guy. Yep. <laughs> but he's one of the comics creators who's who's most often accused, and you know, for really good reason, for using comics as a means to an end rather than as an end to itself. Yeah, he's he's pretty explicit sometimes about like with certain projects at least that is what he's doing and he's not making any bones about it all right let's talk a little bit about the movie Uh, the lineup of the ultimates or the avengers is straight from the book we're dealing with a team consisting of captain america uh, thor iron man black widow wasp and giant man and uh nick fury and let's talk a little bit about since since captain america is so so enormous right now in the current pop culture zeitgeist, hot off the smash hit of the Winter Soldier. Let's talk a little bit about this version of Captain America and uh, how we felt about him, and you know, like how he measures up to the Cap in our heads. Uh, Tracy, what do you think of the Cap in this movie? Well, interestingly, I think he's much more likable in the movie than he is in the Ultimates comic. 
I agree with that in- entirely, but... If, uh, I agree, yeah. while also adding that it's a pretty low bar, but it's definitely yes. true. <laughs> well, yeah, it's... And uh, I always consider that the Ultimates comic is sort of like, it's, uh, what if the Avengers were all assholes? <laughs> yeah. That was that was my very first note as I was watching these movies was, it's Mark Millar, so everyone is jerks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I it's been a while since I've, I I probably haven't watched this since I bought it the day it came out. Uh, I think I watched it like a couple times that week though because it was like I had to watch it myself and then I had to watch it with my couple nerd friends. So he was much more pleasant than I was worried he was going to be. Like I thought I would go back to it and be like, oh, this this isn't really right at all, is it? And you know, where's my you know charming. Chris Evans, Captain America. It's there's some interesting beats in it that are still weird to watch when you have the live action Avengers movie and live action Captain America in your head. It's really definitely. It feels like um, this Cap was sort of, I guess the the kids movie because this kind of in a lot of places felt like a kids movie or even more like a TV a TV pilot, mm-hmm. but. Ultimate Cap from the comic is this really just like such a dick. Yeah, he's a hardline social conservative who won't put up with anything at all that goes against a certain kind of American ideal that is kind of not what, let's say, Chris Evans Cap stands mm-hmm. for. He's and and yet compared to the rest of the team, is one of the least dickish characters in the comic. <laughs> Because, I mean, what are the things that really set Cap off? Things that are kind of reasonable sometimes. Like, we don't hear Cap go into racist or homophobic rants like we might be afraid he would do if he were supposed to represent a conservative 1940s America. Like, he's still, he's still, I guess, adjusting to, um, to the 21st century pretty okay. What, is he, what sets him off, really? Well, okay, he's not nuts about France. <laughs> In 2004... Or 2003, when this comic started, a lot of Americans weren't nuts about France. <laughs> because True. we thought they were wrong about Iraq. That was <laughs> that ended up being funny. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he takes matters into his own hands when a guy beats his wife. I think we can kind of get behind that, right? We're, yeah, the, we're not the, fans of wife beating. And again, I'm someone who's only sort of absorbed the ultimates through osmosis, but doesn't, like, Cap and... and um, Janet end up being a couple, right? Yes. So that sort of puts a creepy spin on that. Like, yes, I agree on sort of uh, you should do what you can to stop an abuser, but it's a little weird if you then shack up with the woman that you're saving. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's but Again, that could, that could be played fine. I'm just kind of reading it as like a quick synopsis being like, oh, that's weird. There's not a lot in there that I would say is played fine. But <laughs> okay. I didn't yeah. think so. <laughs> the, the the dynamics of that are 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 all sort of fucked up. But yeah, uh, ultimate cap. Uh, once once Miller leaves, um, is definitely softened up. Actually, throughout all of Ultimate Marvel, whenever characters are in the hands of say Bendis, they're more likable. And that was always the weird thing for me reading the Ultimate comics. Is it always felt like there were two different versions of these characters that were existing in this universe. There's the version Bendis was writing, and then there was the version everybody else was writing, or at least the version Millar was writing. And it was always it'd always be weird any time where they're where they'd meet up with Cap in, in Ultimate Spider Man or 
or or they would speak of him in such reverence and what a great person he is. And then I think, what if you're actually reading his comic? He isn't. <laughs> does not come across it. Right. No. Yeah. That's something about this movie, though, as well. Um Especially towards the end of the of the movie, everybody's talking about what a great leader Cap is. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that's actually shown to us at all. No, it's going to be a recurring theory or sorry, a recurring theme when we uh, talk about the characterization of this movie. That it's just there's no room for any character arcs in these seventy one minutes, yeah. and that's certainly true of Cap, maybe more than anybody else. Cap gets more time than almost anybody. His recovery yeah. and the idea of him being pulled out of the ice is actually given more time and more focus than in the comic. Mm-hmm. The, the entire opening is is just Cap's origin. Like we get the whole title and everything. You know, we get a whole like six seven minutes mm-hmm. of just Cap, you know, fighting World War Two, getting frozen in the ice, all that stuff before we even address the concept of the rest of the characters, well, which first... is kind of I'm odd sorry. considering how short the movie is. The first five minutes of the movie, the opening thing in 1945, is actually, like, almost beat for beat with a couple of additions and subtractions. It's very, very loyal to the first issue of The Ultimates. Um, it's basically it's that same raid. We don't get overt references to aliens. We don't see alien craft or see people shape-shifting. But the idea that he's on this plane and they're going on this mission, the characters are like like Bucky and Kowalski. They, have, they deliver some of the same dialogue. Um... The actual events, like if you were to do bullet points of it, basically are are the same. A lot of the, a lot of the panels are used for reference in, in cinematography. Um, but by the time we really get to the present, um, first of all, they find Cap by accident in the uh, in the comic, and it's just a coincidence that they're thawing out Cap as they're building this team. Whereas it's it seems like it's it's more deliberate here, like they're specifically looking for Captain America so that mm-hmm. they can be part of the Ultimates, and the process of Cap sort of adjusting to the 21st century and even just his physical recovery in at the Treskelion, um, that's really only a couple of short scenes in the comic. Whereas here, he we get to see him sort of build relationships with certain members of the team more organically, especially Banner. Uh, Cap and Banner don't really interact. Like, I, don't, I don't know if they interact at all before that he hulks out in the comic. Whereas there's this sort of kinship that they share. Um, I think Cap at least tries to reach out to him. Yeah, well, and Banner himself even at a point says, like, you know, I I thought of all people you would understand. Like, he, he even looks at Cap as like, you know, you're someone that should get me. We're, we're both people with this stuff and are, you know, flowing through our veins that makes us different from everyone else yeah as, as he as he brings as bruce brings everything back to his sexual frustration like he does with all of his motivations and yeah so that seems like a good time for us to segue into talking about bruce banner who still is a dick here but like all the other characters in this movie so much so much more likable and sympathetic <laughs> than he is in the ultimates yeah in the ultimate in this movie um Banner got his uh, got his Hulk powers from a gamma burst, which we can assume was an accident, and then tries to cure himself, which leads to him hulking out and killing a bunch of people. Um, in the comic, he deliberately induces the Hulk in order to A, give the ultimate something to fight for TV, and B, because it makes him feel, you know, more potent. And then the Hulk goes on this crazy rant trying to retrieve 
Betty from a uh, from a date with Freddie Prinze and making <laughs> not even a little bit veiled rape threats. So I'll yeah, I've, I've seen that page on Tumblr. Yeah, that's weird on a obviously a couple different levels. He's he's pretty weird much slash awful. Pretty much pantsless for most of that too, isn't he? Uh, I think he's got the clinging torn off pants. There, it's Hank who's naked mm. now and then in the comic. I I feel at some point in the Ultimates there is just a rampaging naked Hulk though. But uh, I, I I felt for Banner a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't seem like such a creep. He's just got kind of gotten a, a a shitty situation and he's not handling it well. Right. I kind of feel like with this version that he. I get the impression he was kind of a creep before he got so doped up that he just couldn't feel anything anymore. <laughs> but he's not actively creepy within the course of most of the film. That also reminds me that um, that uh, Betty Ross in this movie is a human being um, mm-hmm. who um, is like she's a scientist, and she's a professor, and she has feelings, and like she, whether or not she's interested in being in a relationship with Bruce Banner, does you know acknowledge that he hurts whereas in the comic she's not a member of the science team she's actually their their public their their uh their public relations and like press and image sort of um manager and she is a cold heartless b-word of course because what would a mark millar comic without a woman blue balling the main character (laughs) (laughs) uh man and being vilified for it She's she is the worst, and like I understand that I'm I have to look at it through the frame of this is what Mark Miller does, but oh my god, she is horrible, horrible, horrible in the comic. Just like does not care when people die and cares about Q ratings, and when when Bruce Banner is like, oh I I'm, I'm feeling horrible, I just want to talk. She's like, I don't care about you, go away. Um, here I felt like she was kind of an emotional core for the movie. Um. She was kind of, she's torn up by what's going on, and it helps you to relate to not just her but to the other characters. You get to know what it's like to be around Bruce Banner. You get you can kind of see what maybe he used to have mm-hmm. before all of this started, and it was really through her that I felt like I could connect to Bruce when he you know and see past him being just a total creep. Yeah. yeah and- and she's able to say to him, like, I'm sorry, I just, I don't have feelings for you, or I'm not interested in you, or, you know, whether she did in the past or not. Uh, but, like, and she'll do it, and she comes to it from a place of compassion. And, you know, like, she's being, a, you know, a kind person to him, while also just having the freedom to see, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to be with you. Yeah, she's firm about what she wants, and she's yeah. not going to just cave because he's sad, but she's also going to not, like... And and she's also not, like, the bad guy for shooting him down, either. No, I think... She's definitely the most likable character in this movie. Yes, which is such a, such a change, because she's essentially mm-hmm. the villain of the first volume, of the first, like, six issues of The Ultimates. So, the fact that, that Betty not only has more to do in the story, but is... A, is you know it's not evil that that helps a lot i think in making the story land yeah yeah let's see who else do we have in this illustrious team i think one of the major um markers to tell you when this movie was made is how little iron man is in it yeah <laughs> back when he was like a c-list character even to comic nerds mm-hmm. so we meet tony 
Um, I think I even marked how long it was before Tony showed up in the movie. Um, it's a long time. 19 minutes in, we first meet Tony Stark, and that would be, like, that would not happen now. <laughs> it's, we know it didn't. No, he would be the first the character. <laughs> It, it takes yeah. a while for him to show up in Avengers too, but certainly once he's but there, he's, he is there, <laughs> and he is still the first Avenger to show up in that movie. I mean, right. it's outside of the of the powered Avengers, I mean, you have the intro with all the Shield agent Avengers, uh, you know, with Hawkeye and and everybody, but then it's it's not until you see him like welding that power cord up under the water that it's like, oh, here's here's a face that audiences know. Yeah, Tony also gets the most clear emotional arc in the Avengers, whereas here oh, he does definitely. not have one. Right. He's, again, a lot of this is, of course, going to be that it's hard to see anyone else play Tony Stark on screen or hear anyone else um, after seeing Robert Downey Jr. and take them seriously as the real Tony because he embodies that role so thoroughly, even when he's not on camera. Um but it's just it, it feels this this animated uh, version just feels so hollow. Like they, he says a lot of things as if they're clever lines, but they aren't. <laughs> like there's a there's a moment during the final battle later on that we'll talk about. I'm sure when when he he does something heroic and just says, "You're lucky I had an opening in my schedule." And he says it like it's like the funniest thing ever, and it's just like <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's more or less lacking in charm. Like yeah, they give him like James Bond muse theme music. And like we see him sort of like flirting with Widow, and, and we meet him in a in a restaurant that is revealed after a few minutes, at, like at the end of the scene, to be his own tower. Like there's no establishing shot to where he is that he's like meeting strangers and kind of hitting on women, and he's not sure who everyone is. And it's not until he leaves that you see the the reveal that like the building has Stark on it, and it's kind of not clear if that's supposed to be like kind of a joke reveal or if it's just not really set up as to where we are. It kind of doesn't. Well, entirely work. Black Widow does make a reference to it when she's hitting on him, though. When he introduces her, himself to her, she says, uh, or he introduces himself to Tony, and then she's like, Stark, yeah, I saw the name on the building, or something like that. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. She also has an amazing, and I guess we can get to this more when we, when we meet Widow, but her first interaction with Tony is, is amazing. He, he, she orders something at the bar. Tony says, are you really Russian, or are you just trying to make an impression? And Widow, I can I think like uh, grabs. Uh, is there a cigarette or something? I can't remember. She she does. Uh, I didn't write this down. Um, he says, yeah, "Are you just either. trying to make an impression?" And she says, "I try at nothing." Yeah, and he's like, "Whoa, baby!" It's one of the few really good like character beats in this movie. Actually, is that little scene. But this movie doesn't assume you know who Iron Man is and kind of plays it as a surprise when they mm -hmm. reveal that Tony was Iron Man the whole time. Right, yeah. they have the discussion right away, right after that scene between Stark and Fury, where they're talking about, you know, finding Iron Man as, as a third person. As this, like, weird uh, sort of coat rack rises out of the floor kind of in the middle of an office. You don't have a, a coat rack built into the floor that telescopes out of your floor? Yeah. If I did, I wouldn't just have it in the middle of the room. That's that's so weird. You guys are like in the Midwest. <laughs> you don't have those weird things. Like... I know. We we just got electricity like two months ago. <laughs> hey, don't. I'm I'm Midwest. Don't assume that I don't have those things. <laughs> but Iron Man doesn't really have very much to do in the story at all. I think he's mostly no. there because he's in the comic. Yep. Black Widow, on the other hand, 
she actually doesn't um she has a much larger role here in the movie than she does in the book uh she's brought in from the very beginning instead of being sort of like the second wave of avengers along with hawkeye who's not in the film and while i thought that her role in the movie was pretty good her accent she's she's performed by olivia dabo who's a veteran voice actress and the sister on the Wonder Years. And the sister on the Wonder Years. She had a Star Trek <laughs> episode and everything. Bringing it all back to Star Trek. Everything comes yes. back to Star Trek. Um, that accent is terrible. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of distractingly bad. It's Which makes it ironic with Tony's comment. Of, right. Know, it's like, and then she answers in, you know, a very Natasha Russian kind of just really, really not this, just hamming it up. And she's also another one of the few characters in this movie who is not just a total asshole. She's the only she, person who's competent in the movie. Yeah, yeah, she just she just gets shit done. And she's a, she's a little short-served just by the nature of, you know, she's she doesn't talk a whole lot, which of course is good with the, <laughs> the distracting accent. But, you know, by the very nature of Black Widow sort of being the kind of introverted, secretive one, which I feel like uh, Scarlett Johansson has been doing a great job with no matter what. Mm-hmm. certain other people say that you get that there's emotion going on behind her and she kind of shows these little moments of character development but she doesn't actually you know she's not the showy one are there people saying bad things about scarlet because oh yeah i don't and i don't, I I don't, don't get it i don't want to know those people right same she's she's so good especially as we see more and more of her in these movies but that's for other podcasts i suppose she's better in every movie that she appears in and, yes. and each each one sort of retroactively gives you an appreciation for her earlier performances like when you if you watch winter soldier and you kind of really get more of her character and her arc of sort of you know dealing with her emotions instead of hiding them all the time which is sort of her superpower you kind of go back and look at what she's doing in iron man 2 and avengers and you really see kind of i don't know whether intentionally or not she's been playing that arc yeah through those movies so here she's I guess, really, she's the only member of the team who doesn't fuck up at least once. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of funny also, like, I'm not thrilled with the way that they feel obligated to make her, like, emotionally or romantically attached to Cap. Yeah. That's That just seems to kind of come out of nowhere. And, like, she expresses this, this big admiration for him, and, like, she'll follow him to the end or whatever. But once again... I don't feel like he earns that in the movie at no. all. We get this moment at the end, kind of between them, and then again, like a second later, with her talking to to Fury about him, where it feels like it's like kind of the end point of an of an arc between them that never happened. Mm-hmm. I think really, like like you were saying, I think Andrew, you were saying earlier about how nobody really gets an arc in the movie because it's just the cast is just spread so thin. There's just so many characters, and Cap gets the closest thing to a character arc, but even he doesn't really get no. Because unlike this is where something we're having maybe maybe having Cap be a little bit just a little bit more like like his more arrogant conservative version from the comic at the beginning, and then giving him an opportunity to grow a little bit might have actually been a good idea. Yeah, and if anything, and again, I know we're just talking about this one, but I watched both of these movies back to back. He turns into more of a jerk as they go on, <laughs> as he kind of acclimatizes to to the twenty first century. He turns into more of an asshole as he continues through the story. Speaking of assholes, Hank Pym. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hank yeah. Pym, giant man. Oh. 
he may not, you know, domestic abuse people in this movie, but he still comes off as such a goddamn, oh my god. Every time he opened his mouth, I wanted to punch him in the face. Right, and you can do, like, kind of asshole character like that and have it be charming. Like, that's that's Tony's role in a good Avenger story, is that he's kind of the charming asshole where you, mm-hmm. you hate him and you wouldn't want to hang out with him and you wouldn't want to, you know, have any kind of relationship with him. But you kind of enjoy watching him because the movie or the story is very clear that that's what you're supposed to be feeling. Pym is just an asshole in, like, the most obnoxious way. I didn't think we were supposed to like him at all. Oh, I, no, I'm not saying that yeah. the movie thinks that in this case either. I just mean, you know... I'm not sure if we were supposed to, you know, like, I just want him off the screen, which is yeah. not how we were supposed to feel. Yeah, when he walks away from the team, it's just kind of like, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to take Janet with him. Yeah, like, no, she can stay, you you just leave, and I guess if anyone who has, for whatever reason, seen this movie and not read the comics... Uh, just imagine how you feel about Hank if you felt that way about all of the characters, and that's pretty much the most direct correlation between the two. I, I think what I was trying to articulate with like the different levels of, of what's tolerable from an asshole character is he comes across in this movie, especially written like he's written like a thirteen-year-old. Like hmm. it's not even sort of a mature adult yeah. way of being an asshole. It's like just a whiny pouty. He's gonna stomp and go to his room kind of kind of thing, which is just so so off putting beyond what you know an asshole character should be. Right, and he's supposed to be a genius scientist. And yeah, yeah. There's really no way he could have been worse than the version that he's based upon in the Ultimate comics. So, True. I guess we really we were. They did us a favor. <laughs> um, but all in all, I, I felt like he, I, he didn't really contribute much to the story either. I mean, they're, the whole team doesn't want to be there, right? And I guess he's just the, the best personification of the, the, fuck this, the fuck this noise attitude the whole team has about being on the Ultimates. Or the Avengers. I, I guess they're called the Avengers in the movie. They don't really say... Yeah, they say Project Avenger, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. more than we, once, but they don't really the word, refer to them. We get the word Avenger twice. One, when he's when the World Council orders uh, Fury to jumpstart Project Avenger, and then once at, at the end on the newspaper. On the newspaper, which, yeah. yeah. So I guess they're the Avengers. But, yeah, he's just a child. Yeah, that's really what makes him intolerable beyond just the normal kind of asshole character that has a place in the story. It's like, Janet's not his wife, she's his mom. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Janet then, because I guess she doesn't have a tremendous amount to do in the movie either. But, no, not uh, really. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't even really think of how I would describe her as a character in the movie. And based on that dead air, I think <laughs> we all have that problem. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's... She's she's there. She's only there in the context of being with Hank, um, which of course is kind of par for the course for the way she gets treated in a lot of comics too. Right, but she is she's very sweet though in the show, and it's just sort of you just feel bad like for like why why are you even why with this guy this yeah and some, you like, don't know sorry. why yeah you don't I'm, you don't know why. Uh, 
you don't know why they're together, and then you don't know why they need him, because it's like, well, she's got powers that are essentially just, she'll do the opposite of whatever he does, but then also she's got sweet, you know, stinger blasts, and he just is big and, you know, clotheslines guys in robot suits. Uh, and, and there's just no... I, her point in the movie just seems to be there to illustrate how there's just no need for Hank at all. Period. Well, they, right. they didn't want him in the first place, though. That one thing that's, that, they, that they did in the movie, I guess, to, to at least give a couple extra points to Janet is that Fury comes to get Janet and does not want Hank on the team, and she right. says, I'll only join if you'll take my husband with me, yeah. because he will throw a hissy fit. So, you know, to protect his fragile ego, could you have him on the team, too? That's the, that's the worst reason. The worst reason. Yeah, it's the equivalent of, you know, your, your, your aunt, you know, trying to make sure all the cousins get the same presents because they don't want someone to <laughs> yeah. feel jealous of the other ones. Hank gets a participation trophy for being in the Ultimates. But yeah, not, not much to talk about when it comes to Janet. She doesn't really even do much in terms of uh, in terms of fighting or, or or servicing any of the action sequences. Like she's knocked out like pretty much immediately in like this sort of trial run where they all go their own way and yeah, where her role that... is to get saved by the other characters because she gets knocked out immediately. Yeah, and of course the guy who goes to save her also gets fucked up, and she has to s- sort of save him in return. So I- I'm I'm actually gonna gonna score that one as neutral. Yeah. And she she's fairly helpful in the Hulk fight in as much as just distracting him a bunch and then doing that thing where she flies into his ear. Yeah, and in this version right. she doesn't flash him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, that's great. So sad oh. that that's that that's an improvement this, over the, the, the bar, the bar for gender representation <laughs> so is set so goddamn low. Oh yeah. From the comic that really that's one that's one way where we can definitely say that the movie excels over its source material is yep. that it it has three competent and non-horrible female characters whereas the comic has let's say one tops <laughs> especially when you eventually get revealed to you like uh in Ultimates 2 that Black Widow is evil the whole time yeah. in the comics that kind then of the, the number goes down to zero that goes well right you know, and Janet's okay, I guess, in the in the book, in the beginning anyway. I don't know. And she meets up the most horrible, infamously horrible end of any character in the Ultimate yeah. Universe. So, yep. <laughs> that's that's where I find it hard to like really consider. Like, she's okay, but I mean, as far as just being not a terrible person until terrible things happen to her, it's it's one of those cases where it's like. You know, you don't need all of your. You don't. You, your all of your female characters should not be role models. There should be some variety to the type of people they are. But when you know, sure. you're only when your only female character or de- most decent female character is, um, I forget where I was going with this. Is not um, is eaten a, by the blob. Exactly. <laughs> when that's your only. When you like, you have to hold like it. A bad example becomes so much worse when she's your only example of a mm-hmm. woman in your story. Where it's like Janet herself would not be an awful character if we had, you know, some different looks at other types of women. <laughs> All right, Thor. What was the point of him? They did not. <laughs> they did not know how to get Thor in this movie. I think um, Andrew, when I first mentioned this movie to you on Twitter, your response was something like, 
The only thing I remember is that th- is that the Thor in this movie doesn't know how to say Jotunheim. Yeah, yeah. Like Jotunheim. And and that got my attention because then he says Mjolnir wrong. Yeah, uh, it says like like Mol- Molnir. He says so, Molnir. Molnir, the mighty Molnir. So he's there. It's another character that just feels like he's there because he's in the comic and he's so on the weird. cover, so they have to put him in the book. It's so weird that no one, no one caught that at any stage of the production on this movie. Like no one said, you know, maybe we should get him to retake those lines because <laughs> surely someone knew how those words are supposed to be pronounced. We only yeah. have the actor for a half hour. <laughs> and it only like bolsters the thing that they really only barely touch on in the movie is when the ultimate started, there was that whole playing around with the idea that is he really the God of thunder or just some lunatic with the, you know, high tech uh, hammer that does things. Uh, and like when he can't, pronounce the names of his own stuff it sort of like falls in the category of the supporting the lunatic theory which right. they later did away with but yeah and then in the second movie of these movies he talks to odin like mm-hmm. there's no question like almost immediately because the second movie again i know we're only talking about the first one but the second movie is very much just part two of this story it just directly continues and yeah they just bring up that lunatic uh idea for really no reason at all, because like all the characters, there's no arc to Thor, even less than all the other characters, because Thor has no place in the story. Thor here, like in the Ultimates, is a superpowered activist rather than a more traditional beat 'em up superhero. And he has environmental causes, and he's very passionate about about like not being militaristic. He's not a big fan of America, and here, to its credit. We actually see him do one of his protests, whereas in the book, and I know I keep comparing it to the book, but I feel like that's my purpose here today. Uh, We don't actually see, we just hear about something that he did that didn't go well. Um, But, uh, you know, for some reason he trusts Cap implicitly. Like, maybe he can see into his soul or something, but that seems to come out of nowhere. He just immediately starts speaking warmly of Cap, and there's no reference for the context of their relationship. Everybody loves this guy, and he hasn't fucking done anything. <laughs> I mean, I know, okay, yeah, he fought in World War II, big hero, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but why would Thor know that? Like, yeah, that makes no not, sense. We're not given anything in the movie to suggest that he's anything other than a good soldier. We don't. He doesn't lead men in World War II, at least in that scene. He's doing his own thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he barks orders at the Avengers during their sort of trial mission, but that you know they don't listen to him and it goes badly. But just because they didn't listen to him and it sucked, didn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean that if they have listened to him, it wouldn't have sucked. <laughs> yeah, he never expresses any ideals. Like we never get what his sort of mission statement or his you know his personality really is beyond just kind of he's vaguely polite in his sort of confusion about this world. <laughs> but Thor. I mean, he's, I guess, he amounts to, I guess, two scenes of the movie. Yeah. And he turns his, he changes his mind about joining the Ultimates, like, for, I guess, no reason. For no reason, off screen. And I guess people are getting, you know, killed at the Triskelion, not not in the middle of New York as it is in the uh, in the book. I guess to minimize the civilian body count they and to not have to draw more 
um, backgrounds of New York. <laughs> they uh, they said it at the Triskel at the Triskelion, but I mean he's just there and he's like, oh, I'm happy to help and everything's fine and now let's all have a cookout. And... <laughs> yeah, he he shows up just to kind of suddenly end the battle, like suddenly after all of our other heroes have been fighting the Chitauri for like way too way too long, way too much screen time, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. He just shows up and just wipes them all out with lightning and he's like, hey guys. And that led uh, my favorite comment. I, I watched it this afternoon with my wife, Jojo Seams, who were sitting on the on the couch together. And she said, Thor in this movie is literally a deus ex machina. <laughs> <laughs> just a god who shows up to wipe out the villains out of nowhere. There was one, there's one moment though. There's the one time that Hank was funny. I guess I, I like that, you know, Thor shows up, takes care of the bad guys. <laughs> and Hank says from far away, who's the chick with the hammer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and no one corrects him. Yeah, Tony is immediately like, I don't know. It's like, whoever she, she is, is, I'm happy she's yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> it's... And that that one moment feels like so out of place almost in that characters are joking around, which they have not at any point. Well, because that's, that's, that's one of those places where this movie feels really TV. Yeah. Is that they need to do quips while they fight. Like they don't, like they don't trust that we're going to keep our attention unless they say things like, batter up! You know, yeah. right. So to be fair, the actual like fighting of the Chitari animation is so uninspired that you kind of need that because otherwise, like those ships yeah. just they don't they they're just not, they're yeah. just there. Like there was nothing. We, it's not we a literally, visually exciting fight. It's not a visually we, exciting movie. We literally had to rewind when we got to the end of the movie to catch the point where they had defeated the Chitari. Because, yeah. like we said, it kind of just happens. Thor flies in, blows up a bunch of them, and then they turn into, and then they turn their attention to fighting the Hulk. And it's never really like established that we've defeated all the aliens, which seems rather important. I ha- I had to do the same thing, and I thought it was because when I was watching it uh, on Sunday, I kind of legitimately nodded off during it. <laughs> so I it like just, it was one of those like. You blink your eyes, and then it's like, oh, uh, how much time has passed? Oh, now they're fighting Hulk? Oh, I better back it up. And then, like, watching it again, it's like, oh, I guess I didn't fall asleep at all. It was yeah, just, that, that's the whole just battle the just has no, there's no, There's no, like, cadence or rhythm to that, that final, like, entire act that's spent fighting off the Chitauri and then fighting off the Hulk. It's just kind of like a series of punches and explosions with no, nothing to visually distinguish one shot from the other. If you compare that alien invasion to, say, something that was happening around the same time in Justice League Unlimited, or rather, not Justice League Unlimited, just just, just Justice League at the time, to, like, the three-part uh, Star-Crossed special finale, mm-hmm. where it was the Justice League versus, uh, I guess, the Thanagarian Hawk people, that was some really cool fighting against alien ships and really yeah. everything about that, and that's that's made for TV... And I really think, think so is this, right? Let's just, you know, yeah. yeah. figure this is for them to play on, on TV at like 9 o'clock or whatever. It certainly looks like it. Yeah. It's, this is, this is the thing. It's like they don't endeavor to put any top tier talent on it. I don't think there's, visually they, they don't have a Lauren Montgomery or they don't have like a Sam Liu to make it visually interesting. And vocally they do not have an Andrea Romano to put together no. a killer voice cast. And that doesn't just mean that you have to have, like, 
well-known actors to attract the attention of non-cartoon nerds. That just means that, like, these aren't these barely qualify as performances. This it's more like a recital. And yeah, and the same with the writing. Like I commented while we were watching it, this movie just feels bored with its own story. Like it feels like the screenwriters were assigned the work of adapting those comics into a, a script that fit a certain page length, and they did it as quickly as they could and just did not care. To bring like, it back to the Ultimates, and here I'm actually going to make a positive comparison to the uh, for the Ultimates. For whatever ho- other horrible, unfortunate things are going on in that book, there's a degree of personality to the Ultimates that is there. There are there are charming bits. Um, like any other Mark Miller comic, there's an obsession with the with um, with popular culture and with uh, commercialism, um, with like uh, people's obsessions with brands or with branding. Uh, there's like the scene. There's a scene in the Ultimates where the Ultimates, with nothing else to do, are just hanging around talking about who they want to play them in a movie, which is all just built around making a joke about Sam Jackson looking identical to Nick Fury. Right. But it's you know there's it's sort of like a gen a, a sort of genuine moment where they're like okay well we're just hanging out we're talking like people and it endears you to the characters even though they all suck. And there's sort of there's there is a personality to the movie, even if that personality, or rather to the comic, even if that personality is contemptible half the time, it it yeah. has it has it. This movie has yeah. no personality. Exactly. There's just nothing. There's no there's no character beats. Nothing. You know, it's so just full of exposition and introduction and fighting and characters just kind of being a jerk in a really unamusing way. I mean, I think this movie really shows why doing it the way Marvel Studios with the live-action cinematic universe did it is the only way to really do any justice to an Avengers movie is, like, by making it, you know, the sixth movie that you do <laughs> that you can't spend. You can't introduce all of those characters and their deals and the whole way the universe works, especially if your movie's only going to be 71 minutes. Yeah, Because otherwise then you get... You get nothing but that. I mean, the like the actual threat of what the Chitauri are doing is only established. I looked, I looked at the timer. It's like thirty-two minutes when they all finally sit around and talk about what this fight is, and that's out of a seventy-minute movie. And even then, it's not really clear like what our threat is, yeah, other than just aliens are invading. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a device to get the team together, and as soon as the team is together, they're immediately dispatched. Yeah, there's no. There's no time to get to know them as a team. There's no time to kind of watch them interact, let them have personalities, have conversations. Our final main character to talk about is Nick Fury. And, you know, this is the first on-screen appearance of the Sam Jackson-based Nick Fury. You know, for that, at least, as a curiosity, you know, that's that's cool. He's not voiced mm-hmm. by he's not voiced by Samuel L. Jackson. I only assume because they can't afford him. Because <laughs> he showed up to... to uh, Sam, Samuel L. Jackson is a guy who who loves he loves animation and he loves you know he, being involved in this Marvel stuff. Even then, I just assume and, that and just things in general. I feel like he's one of those guys who will just kind of show up yeah. if you invite him in a good way. Like you know, he really <laughs> just he's down for whatever. What I think is interesting is that um, there are some sort of parallel scenes between Nick Fury in this movie and Nick Fury in the Avengers, but they're done backwards. In this movie, which again came first. Um, the sort of talking heads of uh, the 
equivalent to the Avengers World Security Council, have to kind of talk Nick into creating the Ultimates or the Avengers, mm-hmm. and he's telling them, they're a bunch of showboating guys in costumes, they're not soldiers, I can't trust them. That is almost beat for beat the exact opposite conversation that <laughs> the live-action Nick Fury has with his talking heads led by Powers yeah. Booth in the Avengers. They don't trust in these freelance heroes and their, you know, their flashy costumes, and it's Nick Fury who has to convince them or ignore them to um, to establish that they that they're they could be heroes. Yeah, that that is interesting, and I think Fury, of course, in these movies and the Ultimate Universe in general, is of course the character who probably feels the most like the characters that we now know from the live action movie because that is ultimate Nick Fury specifically that we're seeing in the live action movie, which I think is probably the only character where that's, where that's that true of. Um, I actually, um, of the Marvel studio cycle, I would say that's true. I think that, um, the, uh, amazing Spider-Man that we saw in amazing, in the amazing Spider-Man, oh, yeah. I think that that definitely has a lot of carryover from the ultimate Spider-Man. Version. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I, I guess you're right. I was, I was just thinking without, just, just Marvel without proper, meaning to, yeah. I was just thinking of like, yeah, the, the Avengers movie itself. Well, because mm-hmm. the other movies are all kind of forgettable. <laughs> and we'll get to all of them right here on Supers on Screen. Yes. <laughs> we, you wanted to talk a little bit about Chitauri? Or have we kind of already covered our feelings there? Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot to say because they're, what they're after is so kind of vague other than just they're aliens who are invading and they worked with the Nazis so they so Cap has fought them before. Like... I don't know. They're kind of not much of a, not much of an entity in the film, other than just the threat that's coming. And they feel like they're there just so that they'll still be there in the next one. Like, like it's just left really wide open. It seems just so. Like they have the the slightest hint when they say like they've been, you know, using the the vibranium metal. And then, like, oh, hint, hint, next one takes place in Wakanda. There's a connection yeah. kind of thing. And, like, yeah, like, they're just sort of there to set up a reason for the Ultimates to, or the Avengers to get together. But then the real fight that means anything in the movie is with the Hulk. Yeah, and the Chitauri are also there. I'm sure this being an animated movie, they wanted to have, and again, I know it, it, it's what the how it happened in the Ultimates as well. But this being an animated movie, they wanted to have a threat that was, you know, a, a a sort of monstrous, inhuman alien race with no discernible personalities, and b kind of Nazis, because that makes it, you know, entirely justifiable to just kill them on screen and no one feels bad about it. <laughs> it's okay yeah. to like, kill Nazis, aliens, and robots. Right, and they're kind of a combination of all of them. Yeah. So that's kind of the ultimate like <laughs> villain you can have in a cartoon and have lots of you know brutal action and no one really feels bad about it. All right, uh, that pretty much wraps up all the characters. I think we hit on all the major story beats. Uh, do either of you have any more straight thoughts from your notes? Anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? I One thing that I definitely noticed right away because it happens in the opening credits and then again... Uh, a thing I noticed while perusing the DVD special features is these Lionsgate movies were sadly much better at uh, crediting specific comic creators than the current Marvel Cinematic movies are. 
despite those being made by Marvel themselves. I mean, you've got, like, uh, um, Millar and Hitch are right there in the credits alongside the screenwriters, and there's long documentaries on these DVDs talking to Millar and Hitch and uh, George Perez and Kurt Busiek about their runs on Avengers. There's, like, so much talk about the comics, which, and you know, a lot of a lot of people have complained, and, and rightfully so, that for all these mov- the the live-action movies are doing well, Inside their stories, the studio is, of course, kind of short, kind of shafting the creators in a lot of different ways, and that just kind of is a thing that jumped out at me with no real, no real point. I guess just an observation. I mean, that's not like it, completely true in all cases. Although, yeah, like it was nice to see in those opening, like just right away opening credits based on the Ultimates by Mark Miller and Brian Hitch, and and that was cool. Whereas, like mm-hmm. the the Marvel cinematic you know the live action films uh the credits are kind of hidden at the very end of the, yeah, the tail end credits yeah, where creator, creator, of, creators get special thanks yeah yeah and i know that there's some monetary compensation for stuff like that as a matter of yeah. fact um mm-hmm. going all the way down to uh denny o'neill in a recent episode of kevin smith's fat man on batman podcast revealed that um when denny first saw iron man in theaters uh, he noticed that Obadiah Stane was in the movie, and Denny O'Neill is actually credited with co-creating Obadiah Stane. Mm-hmm. And um, when he mentioned it to Marvel, oh, hey, I see you guys used Obi. It's like, oh, we forgot about you. We owe you some money. <laughs> so yeah. they were under no obligation to do it, but, uh, I mean, they can't pay everybody, and I'm sure oh, they, they leave out a lot of people who deserve it. Um, but it's nice to know that they at least they do they share the love a little bit even with people yeah, who don't directly consult for the movie that's one of those things where it's i know there's there's obviously a lot of talk online about how the creators don't get enough credit or you know share of any money in a lot of cases and obviously i completely agree with that 100% i also don't really hold it against the movies themselves because the people making the movies like the the directors the yeah. designers the writers are so reverent to the comics in you know most of the time when they're making their design choices. Like if you watch the documentaries on the making of Thor, you know, Brana doesn't shut up about Jack Kirby and that's great. <laughs> and I do, yeah. I do wish that we would get like, you know, that the Avengers had a based on the comics by Jack Kirby and Stanley, like right away at the beginning and, or, you know, in like alongside the screenwriter, that is something that I, I definitely would like to see yeah. that, that these Lionsgate movies weirdly enough do better than the Marvel cinematic universe movies. But, uh, yeah. And and as cool as it would have been to see, you know, based on The Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting, you do get to see Ed Brubaker on screen for a really long yeah. period of time. I love that. Literally creating The Winter Soldier. Yeah, literally creating. <laughs> I, I love that stuff. I think that's really cool. And even Absolutely. like having J. Michael Straczynski, you know, dry, uh, uh, helping try to lift Thor's hammer or something, you know, that kind of I stuff thought- is, is cool. I- and I, I forget who it was on Twitter, and I apologize to whoever it was because I thought it was really funny that someone pointed out that uh, Straczynski has a role in the Thor movie trying something and then giving up. Just <laughs> <laughs> funny. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> okay. Tracy, do you have any other thoughts from your notes? Anything you want to touch on before we wrap it up? Uh, I took some really weird random notes. Like, um, Bruce Banner sounds like Dime Store Brad Pitt. <laughs> he does. Uh, I can right. totally hear that. 
uh, when Natasha says general, it always sounds like genital <laughs> in her weird Russian language. So like general, I can't even, I don't, I can't even do what she was doing, but she did it twice and both times I heard genital. Um, uh, it's just like, just weird, just weird dumb stuff. Uh, they, they're, um, when they were showing off the testing of the vibranium metal shard that they had, they're just like firing a rocket launcher at it. And they're like five, less than five feet away from a table where they're all hanging out at. These are some important people too. Yeah. Yeah. All of the Avengers just in a room at a table and they're like, Hey, wait, check this out. You know, throw a dart at it. And then just guy with rocket launcher, just, there's no shielding up. It's just, held together by a little, like, vice grip on a pedestal. Um, and then, apparently, the... Uh, I thought this was kind of cool, but also gross, that the Chitari uh, drink with their hands, like, in order to become the person they want to transform into. <laughs> they just jam their fingers into them, and then there was this clear, like, just slurping motion that their fingers were doing, and then they transformed. I don't remember much about how the Chitari were portrayed in the comics other than it was weird for me to like uh, re uh, sort of rejigger my mindset of like, Oh yeah, that's right. It used to be just what they called scrolls in the ultimate comics, but now they're their own alien race because of the Avengers movie. But it was another one of those things where, you know, Mark Millar doesn't think the word scroll sounds cool enough for Hollywood, so they're Chitari now. All right. My only real fun stray thing is every time I saw Cap on screen, I saw horrible B-movie actor Reb Brown <laughs> of, of Space Mutiny fame. He looks like a dead ringer for Red for Reb Brown. Yeah. All right, cool. If there's nothing else, then that's... Uh, uh, oh, sorry. Is there? I, Andrew, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> I was just looking back over my notes here. One note I wrote, which I think we covered already, is just I just wrote "fuck Hank Pym" on here like twice. <laughs> Me too. Um, I have it. I have it three times. <laughs> um, just yeah, the the thing that that doesn't sit right, not only with this movie, but kind of the Ultimates, or at least uh, the general writings of Mark Miller, that is really encapsulated and done right in the Marvel Studios movies now is. What what I like out of stories, particularly stories about superheroes, particularly stories about teams, is I really like watching stories or reading stories about people liking each other. Um, you know, you can have a tension in a group of characters and some yeah. arguing and enough to kind of give it dramatic thrust and not have everyone be dicks. And, you know, I've I've been so pleased with how the live-action Marvel Studios movies are doing that. That, like, everyone... Everyone's bros, you know all that great stuff in Winter Soldier of, of Black Widow being Cap's wingman, just trying to find him a date, and you know, mm-hmm. people are able to relate to each other in ways other than just dick contests or sexual attraction. Like they're just they're friends, and they still get enough of that infighting to be interesting. But you know, you don't hate anyone for it, and it like it really struck me, you know, watching this movie again now after getting so used to kind of the screen versions of these characters being those live action characters, like what doesn't sit right with me about, you know, stuff like this versus stuff I do like. 
So, yeah, that's maybe my prevailing feeling about this movie. Well, it's it's interesting to look at it as sort of the uh, for what was to be the launchpad of of Marvel's uh, competing line of of videos uh, with with uh, Warner Brothers and DC. It do- they don't really they they get sort of better, but never as good. The line doesn't last very long either. It doesn't. Yeah, no. it, it doesn't. Two thousand six. Really sorry, two thousand six. That would have been just like three years before the Disney deal, which is really what put a stop to Lionsgate's whole Marvel thing. Yeah, and it felt like to me they didn't even really like they just figured out how to do it kind of right, and they were done. Uh, but I do hope that with Marvel's new uh, relationship with with Disney, if being owned by someone is considered a relationship, I don't think that's <laughs> probably not true. Uh, but uh, I I would love to see them to have the kind of quality that DC has with Warner Brothers output. And in a weird way, I look at the upcoming. A big Hero Six animated movie as kind of like the forefront of that. Like this is Disney taking something that's a Marvel property, but like putting full, full bore Disney animator power behind it. Yeah, there's been very little talk about that, which is kind of surprising because it's going to be a big deal no matter how it turns out. Yeah, I. It's weird to think that it'll be out this fall, but there's not been a trailer yet or anything. Yeah, no one's even like 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 I said. No one's really talking about it. I can't yeah, forget kind of on about the list. That. Yeah, I, I think everybody but me does. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just to just to jump back a little with the the with this animated line from Lionsgate, I don't know why it felt like it was always kind of struggling because even looking at like the talent behind this Ultimate Avengers, like they had guys. Like, one of the co-directors on the movie is Kurt Gaeta, who does a bunch of really great stuff for Warner Brothers. Like he directed mm-hmm. the Deanie and Tim Batman and Superman episodes and and stuff. And like in the, even the screenplay, you know, they've got uh, they got Boyd Kirkland, another DCAU guy. Yep. Yeah, and well, and it's uh, Craig Kyle, Craig right? Craig Kyle, it, yeah. Yeah, and he's like one of the top people in Marvel films now, mm-hmm. and uh, you know credited with the story on the the Thor movies. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up here today for Super Sound Screen. Um, where can everybody find you guys online? Uh, Andrew, where are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter at Andrew Isla. That's just my name: A N D R E W I H L A, all one word. Um, I'm on there a lot. Uh, I also have a Tumblr under the same name. Um, I am going to be talking a lot in the coming months about Paradox Skulls, my comic with Joe Hunter that we've co-created together. Um, very excited about that. Um, that'll be coming out first issue later this year. Um, yeah, that's probably the main place you want to go. Oh, um, and you should check out, um, The Abetter's Letters, a video game that I work on that, uh, it teaches French. We've just gotten a grant to complete our demo. We'll have a working demo later this summer. I'm one of five people on the development team on that, and I'll be talking about that on Twitter, and you can check it out at abettersletters.com. And uh, Tracy Mock, where can people find you online? Uh, you can, although I don't recommend, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I am at Mockingbird. That's M-A-U-K 
M-O-C-K-I-N-G-B-I-R-D. And really, you can just type in Mockingbird with that spelling anywhere and find me in those places, be it uh, Tumblr or uh, my uh, many years neglected DeviantArt or, or what have you. Uh, or you can come to Omaha, Nebraska and see me perform comedy live weekly uh, tomorrow night, perhaps, uh, where you might see me uh, dress up as Captain America and do stand-up in character, which will be weird or that sounds amazing. stupid. <laughs> uh, things, things like that are the types of things you'll see me do live and in person. Uh, if you enjoy my art on the internet, I'm sorry, I don't do enough of it. Uh, but you can find it places, uh, Tumblr or uh, several uh, web comics I killed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks to both of you so much for being on the show. This was, a, this was a delight. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. I'm glad I got to kick off uh, both uh, companies' animated lines with hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, we'll see you, or rather, I'll see you with a, a fresh pair of guests next week to tackle Zack Snyder's Watchmen. That should be a fun oh and boy. interesting Ooh. episode. Oh. We'll see how that goes. Oh, uh, we, have a, we have a few hours set aside for that one. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be a double size. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. And uh, you know, keep your eyes on DeadShirt.net for cool content about comics and movies and TV. Uh, have a uh, have a swell week, everybody. Bye. Supers on Screen is produced by Dylan Roth for Deadshirt.net. Visit Deadshirt.net for reviews and commentary on comics, movies, TV, music, and more. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Deadshirt.net. That's D-E-A-D-S-H-I-R-T-D-O-T-N-E-T. You can find me, Dylan Roth, on Twitter at D-Y-L-A-N-R-O-T-H. Our theme music is Become the Night by Big Damn Heroes. Deadshirt.net. Consider everything.